morning, guys. <laughs> yeah. um, I don't know who was here in December, but I ended up spilling my water all over the floor while I was preaching and then was walking around in it. And now I've got this microphone that's attached to a rope. So I'm really just hoping that I'm not going to trip over myself. Oh, dangerous up here. But it really is so good to be with you this morning and to head into week two of our How We Change series. And I really believe that God is wanting to do incredible things in us and through us during this series. I think it would be so easy for us to come into a series like this, almost like Grant was describing last week, with kind of like a list of New Year's resolutions or areas in our lives that we want to change and become better people in. But I really believe that God has so much more for us than that. I really believe that he is wanting to breathe his life into every area of our lives, particularly into the places that feel dead and lifeless. In John 10 verse 10, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, the thief comes to kill, rob, and destroy, but I have come so that they may have life and life to the fullest. And I really believe that God this morning is calling us to himself and he's saying, the life that you long for is found in me. And so this morning I put this question to you, what areas in your life feel, are feeling particularly dead and lifeless this morning? And would you invite God to come into your life and to breathe his life, his life to the fullest into your, into your life, into those particular areas? And so when I was thinking about these areas of um, lifelessness, the thing that automatically popped into my head in my own life was my struggle with eating disorders and food. And how this really all began was when I was 11, and my dad, who had left us when we were about three years old, came back into our lives. And he didn't stay that long. He stayed for a very short while and then quickly disappeared again. And around the same time, I was really battling with my mom. We kind of clashed on everything and anything. And a mixture of these two kind of environments in my life led me to really misbehave at school. I was really naughty. I did some hectic things, which I'm sure maybe you've heard through the grapevine. But I won't go into it now. But when I was in grade five, I ended up getting expelled from my... Catholic private girls school and I'm sure for some of you you're like is that even possible to get expelled in grade five and for me yes it was Um, and what this really led to me feeling was like I just hated myself I felt completely unlovable and I felt desperately lonely and desperately alone as I didn't really have family and now I also had lost my friends and kind of had to make new friends in this new environment And so in the midst of this kind of pain and confusion, I really began to turn to food and eating disorders as a way to kind of cope with it, as a way to find life, I suppose. And um, so one of the things that I would do is I would just eat a lot of food. And I mean, for some people, maybe that sounds ridiculous. But for me, when I did that, I really felt like I was being enveloped by this gigantic hug. It just felt like this safety, this comfort. I'm sure you guys have heard of comfort eating before. So it was like that, but on a larger scale. And eventually, it just led to me feeling like, flip, I'm eating so much food. What am I going to do about it? And so I began to vomit my food up. And in all honesty, the feeling of doing that kind of was like this pressure release that was just like, it felt like I was bringing joy and love and life and peace into my life. 
But the truth of the matter is, is that an eating disorder only promises false life. It promises the fruit of peace, but it's not peace that lasts. The true place that we find life and true fruit of peace and love and comfort and joy and all of those things is in Jesus. Jesus is the one who promises us life to the full. And if I'm completely honest with you this morning, all cards on the table, this is not an area of my life that I have fully conquered. It's a choice that I face every day to look to Jesus as the one who is true life. I have to choose him daily and say, God, I know that your promises bring life to the fullest and that this eating disorder does not. I know that in you I find true peace and love and joy and comfort, and this is not where I find it. I know that if I spend time in your presence, if I spend time with you, that I find fullness of life and that also I experience the change and transformation that your presence brings. Grant read about it earlier, but if we look at 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18, it says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And what this verse is saying is it's saying that in Jesus we have access to God. We have access to the Holy Spirit. And as we spend time with him, as we develop an intimate relationship with him, as we get to know him, we will find that we are changed. We are transformed from the inside out. It says there, from one degree of glory to another. And I think often what we can kind of think in our walk with Jesus is that the moment I spend time with him, I'm going to find freedom from this situation. I'm going to change like it's a magic silver bullet. But we see here, even in the scriptures, that can sometimes happen, but we see here, even in the scriptures, that Jesus is actually transforming us from one degree of glory to the next. So that might be a slow transformation, but the promise still stands. You will be changed as you spend time with him. And so if you have your Bibles with me, with you this morning, you can turn with me to John chapter 15. We're going to be looking at verses 1 to 17 um, as we just take a look at how we, uh, as we abide in God's presence as disciples of him, he begins to change and transform our lives. So this is Jesus speaking now to his disciples. He says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing." If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. 
You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So that whether, whatever you ask the father in my name, he will give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. So we see in this text that Jesus is speaking to his disciples in a metaphor. And he's using the metaphor of a vineyard and terminology like vine, vine dresser, fruit, and branches. And really, Jesus is using this metaphor to teach his disciples how they are to live, how they are to follow him and enjoy relationship with him. In this metaphor, we see that Jesus is the vine. He is the one that brings the life to the branches. He is the one that enables the branches to bear fruit. And who are the branches? That's us. We see in John 15 that it says, apart from the vine, we can do nothing. We are fully dependent on the vine for all of life and fruitfulness. Jesus is the one who produces the fruit in our lives. And our role or our part to play is to abide in him. This fruit that he's producing in our lives isn't necessarily what we do per se. It's more about who we are becoming. The evidence of a transformed life in Jesus is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's the fruit that he speaks about in Galatians chapter 5. Peace, joy, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Maybe I've left one out there. Love. Um, So for example, it would be um, God's life producing in us the fruit of love. And the love that changes how we live, how we relate to one another, and how we enjoy relationship with one another. But what really stood out to me about John 15 is the very first verse. It says in the very first line, Jesus makes a statement and he calls himself the true vine. When Jesus does this, he's showing us that it is possible that we abiding in other vans, false vans, vans that can't really do much for us, false vans that are promising life and fruitfulness and change and transformation in our world, but that really just led us down. It's the type of fruit that just won't last. Jesus teaches us that he is the only van that we can find true life and fruitfulness and change and transformation in. And so for me personally, it's very easy for me to run to the van of food and eating disorders to find life, to find, um, to try and produce peace in my life. But over time, God has really shown me that actually that is a false van. The only van that we can really depend on for that is him. So what are some of the vans that we can easily abide in that's not Jesus? I think in our culture, for many of us, um, a, a common van that perhaps we abide in, I know I have before, is this van of money. We can think, I think it's like a common thing that people think, like, if I just have enough money, if I'm like really wealthy and have cash to spare, I am going to be living life to the fullest. I can do what I want, go where I want. If I have enough money, I don't need anyone to change me. I've got the ability to to change my life, to change my world, and to change the world of the people that I love. But I think what's really interesting is that in this world, we see that there are an incredible amount of very wealthy people and a lot of them are miserable. What Jesus shows us through all throughout scripture, he talks about money a lot. And he says, this is not a van that will change your life. This is not a life-giving van. In fact, when we abide in this van, 
It's not going to produce the peace and the joy that we think it might bring. But instead, often it produces this greed and restlessness in us. It can produce consumerism and materialism. And so in the end, we actually end up harming our lives a lot of the time when we are abiding in this vine because we sacrifice everything for it. We can sacrifice our health. We can sacrifice um, our family, our relationships with other people as we just spend more time working and earning so that we can spend more all in an attempt to find life and happiness and joy but money is not a true vine. For some of us, I think we can be connected to the vine of religion. And what happens when we connect ourselves to the vine of religion, we enter into this kind of performance mentality. And what every kind of religious system says is, this is the standard, and if you want to find eternal life within this vine of religion, whatever religion it may be, could even be Christianity, then you've got to perform and live up to the standard. You've got to work hard and you've got to earn the right to have fruit in your life and to, and to find the life um, that is eternal. And what happens is often when we're abiding in the vine of religion, we actually end up with the fruit of self-righteousness and pride. So when we're doing really well and we feel like we're smashing it at life, we're sinless, I don't know if anyone's ever felt that, but we're just really good people, then we can think, sure, You know, I'm earning this life for myself. I'm doing so well in this vine of religion. But then inevitably what happens is we fail because we're human, because we make mistakes, because we cannot be perfect 100% of the time. And what happens is this fruit that we think we've produced of true life, which is actually often self-righteousness and pride, quickly becomes the fruit of hopelessness and despair as we realize we just can't keep up with this performance. This is not a vine that Jesus is inviting us to abide in. Jesus is not interested in exhaustion through religious performance. All throughout scripture, we see that Jesus offers us such greater life than that. It's life in him where we do not look to our performance to make us right or to earn us life or to change us or transform us or produce fruit in our life, but we look to him, the one who did it all for us on our behalf. The fact is that there are many vines that we can abide in. Maybe for you, you're like me. It's easy for you to abide in the vine of food or eating disorders, or maybe it's money or religion, or perhaps it's something completely different. Maybe it's your career. Maybe it's your success. Maybe it's your relationships with people, your popularity, your approval amongst um, your fellow friends or your family or relationships. Maybe it's a relationship you really want, a marriage, children. Perhaps it's independence. It's so easy for us to look to other things. And some of these things in and of themselves are not entirely bad. They're not They're not bad things in and of themselves, but when we look to them as sources of power from which to draw life and fruitfulness and change from, they are only going to lead to disappointment and disillusionment. Jesus shows us that apart from him, we can do nothing. It's in him that we find these things that we are looking for. And so to illustrate this, uh, I really enjoy flowers. I love flowers. And I I follow this artist. Her name is Rebecca Louise Law. And basically her art and art galleries and that kind of thing is basically these beautiful floral, uh, what would you call them? artworks, I guess. Um, and she just like basically hangs up all these beautiful pictures. I mean, flowers. Can you ch- go to the next picture? Yeah. 
it's just really incredible and really beautiful. Um, and as I was looking at this, I thought, you know, we could work, walk into an art gallery like that and we could look at the flowers and think, wow, that's really beautiful. Like, it smells amazing in here. Like, the fragrance and scent that is coming off those things is wild because there's so many of them. And, like, as we just look at it and witness it, it can make us feel, like, so happy and joyful and, like, alive. But the truth of the matter is that an installation like that is not even going to last I would be surprised if it lasted two days. In the end, what's going to happen is those flowers are going to die, no matter how beautiful they look now, no matter how amazing they smell, no matter how they make us feel, they're going to die, they're going to fall to the ground, and they're going to be put in the garbage because they're not connected to anything. They are separated. They are by themselves. They are not drawing life from anything. In a way, that's a picture of us when we abide in other vines, when we're not connected to the true vine of Jesus, it's not going to be fruit and change that lasts. Jesus is calling us to abide in the true vine where we find true life and lasting fruit. So if abiding in this vine is so important, how do we practically go about this? Because I'm sure you've heard me say a couple of times now already, abide, 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 abide. And maybe in your mind you're thinking, well, what does that actually mean? And how practically do I go about this? Because we don't want just this just to be a series of great ideas of how to change, but we want to make it practical so people can put steps in place to actually practice abiding in Jesus. And so... In verse 9 of John 15, I think that Jesus gives us our biggest clue in how to abide in him. And he says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. This is is an extraordinary statement. If you think about it, what Jesus is saying here, is that just as much as God loves Jesus, Jesus loves us. And that's the love we are to believe is true of ourselves. And I don't know about you, but I think I can so often get up, caught up into the cycle, this mentality, even if it's subconsciously, that I have to be good. I have to earn my approval and acceptance with God in order for him to love me that way. I have to almost be just like Jesus was. But I think what's really interesting about this um, line of Jesus's that he says is he says, abide in my love. And so what he's really saying there is don't abide in how you feel about me. Because let's be honest, when we're doing well, when we feel like we're being good church boys and girls, we'll feel closer to God. I know often if I've had a good week, I feel more confident to be up here. If I have a bad week, which I often do, I don't feel so confident to be up here. Because in the back of my mind is actually the cycle where I think, if I do well, then God is pleased with me, but if I don't, he is not. But God is saying he doesn't want us to abide, to remain in, to believe in what we feel about him, but he's calling us to believe in what he feels about us. So the big question then is, what do you believe God feels about you? I found this really interesting study that they did in America. Um, the Barner Research Group did it. And basically what they did is they threw out this question to the people that they were surveying. And the question was this, what do you believe God feels about you? 
And so they got them all to write down their, their answer, just one word on a piece of paper, and hand it in. And I think what is alarming to me and so ter- like just devastating is that the most common word that people wrote down was the word disappointed. Most people answered the question with disappointed. They felt like they had just not been good enough. They hadn't followed Jesus well enough. They hadn't been, they had all these secret things in their hearts that they were thinking and feeling, unforgiveness, jealousy, sin, whatever it may be. And so they felt that the only thing that God must be feeling towards them was disappointed. But that's just not what the Bible teaches. When we read through the Bible, we see that Jesus is delighted with us. He is pleased with us. In John 15, it says that he loves us just as much as God loves him. I think one of my favorite stories that Jesus tells in the Gospels is the story of the the prodigal son, where the son of this guy, um, <laughs> I don't know who he is, um, he, ba- <laughs> he basically, he's, he's like a little, he's naughty, he, he runs off with his inheritance early, he spends it all, he lives life, he does terrible things, as we all do, and then he comes back and he's like, you know, kind of looking for help, he's on the look for help, and it even says in that story, like, he's kind of expecting that he's going to have to be a slave in his father's home, because who, he He didn't believe that his father loved him anymore. He didn't believe that his father would be delighted in him or pleased in him. And yet when we read that story in the Gospels, we see God's response. And it's this, he runs out to him before he's even come to his house. He's running out to him. He's enveloping him in a hug. He's loving him. He's kissing him. He's welcoming him home. He even throws a party for him. This is God's posture towards us because of our identity in Christ. Because Jesus lived the life that we could not live and cannot live. He died the death that was meant for us, that we, we should have died that death. And because of that, we are new creations in him. God isn't looking at us thinking, you've disappointed me. He's thinking, I love you dearly and you are a pleasure and a delight to me. Abiding in the true van means believing that. It means believing that you have that new identity. It means believing that that is how God feels about you. In Josh, uh, in this book called The Abiding Life, Josh Houston writes and he says, I want to suggest that God does not love you just because theologically he has to. God's love for you is a daily chosen love. In fact, he loves you more than you have the capacity to comprehend or appreciate but he is also extremely fond of you. I believe he is thoroughly unlike with you. I like that. (laughs) The command to abide is instruction to define yourself as one radically beloved of God, fixed into the vine. The vine dresses love for you, and his thoughts towards you constitute your worth. It's an offer to accept your acceptance, to let his love for you become the absolute meaning of your life. In the end... It becomes a matter of accepting your true identity because every other identity is merely an illusion, over-promising what in time it will under-deliver. What do you believe God feels about you? The next thing we see in the text in John 15 as a hint of Jesus' to us on how we abide is enjoying friendship with him. 
In verse 13, he says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And then in verse 15, he says, no longer do I call you servants, for the servants do not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. And in verse, in these two verses, oh, I thought they were up on the screen, sorry. In these two verses, we see that Jesus is calling us his friends. That's the kind of invitation that he's inviting us into. He's inviting us into this relationship where we abide in him by having friendship with him. And what's interesting about this word friend, when it's translated in the Greek, is that it actually refers to a best man. So it's like a best man at at a wedding. That is the kind of friend that Jesus sees you as. You are best man material. So cool. That is an incredible honor and privilege. And what that means is, if you think about it, if you were to be a best man at someone's wedding, that means you're incredibly close. That means you know each other super well, Hopefully you spend quite a bit of time together and hopefully you're in some sort of constant communication. Like you speak to one another and that's a two-way conversation, not just, you know, you as the best man speaking all the time, for example. And that's exactly the kind of relationship that God is calling us into with him. He invites us into a friendship where we talk, where we spend time with one another, where we are conversing a two-way conversation. And I think what that's commonly known as is prayer But I think for some of us, maybe this word prayer sometimes seems a lot bigger than what it is. But what it really is, is just conversation with God. God wants us to abide in him by sharing our lives with him. That means we, on a daily basis, can come to him and tell him what we're struggling with, the sin that we battle with in our lives, what we're fearful or concerned about, um, and what we're celebrating, what brings joy to our lives, what we're thankful for, what is happening, the good and the bad. And it also means that he wants to speak to us in these times of conversation. He wants to let us know what he's up to, what's on his heart, what he's doing in the world, how we can join with him in doing what he's up to in making disciples, his mission on earth. And it also means that he wants to talk to us about perhaps areas in our lives that we need to change because he loves us and he wants what's best for us. And most of all, He wants to remind us of how much he loves us and how much he cares about us. And perhaps you're here this morning and you've never really enjoyed an intimate relationship with Jesus like that. Maybe you hear about me talking about conversation with God and that just seems entirely foreign to you, hearing from God, speaking to God. And so that might feel a bit overwhelming. And I think... If we're wanting to grow in that area, if we're wanting to grow in the area of enjoying friendship with Jesus and prayer, um, I think where we can start is just setting aside some time. I think a lot of the time, busyness kind of stops us from doing that, whether we've been a follower of Jesus for a long time or a short time. If we put time aside to spend to him, to practice talking to him and let him speak to us, maybe that means putting an alarm on your phone so you wake up earlier. Maybe that means not playing music in your car so you can spend time talking with him. I know for me that means like journaling. I write a lot of my praise to God just because I'm very easily distracted. And the moment I start talking to him, I start thinking about all sorts of other things. And so for me personally, I find it helpful to write out my praise. But however or whenever or whatever you choose to do this, 
I think we still need to go back to number one with this understanding that actually God loves us and he's excited to meet with us. He's excited to speak with us. And so almost our posture going into friendship with God is that we can come confidently knowing that he is wanting to speak into our lives and enjoy friendship with us. And it's out of that friendship, out of abiding in relationship with him, that fruit is produced in our lives and that we begin to change. He also mentions in verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. And I think the fact of the matter is what he's talking about there is his words, which are the scriptures in the Bible. He can also speak to us through the Spirit, but I think um, one of the big ways we can learn to know and recognize God's voice when we are praying to him is by reading the Bible So we know what he sounds like. We know the kind of things that he says. He'll never say anything in opposition to his word. But more than that, um, his words in the Bible are confirmations and affirmations of how he feels about us. They're things that we can meditate on and feast on so that if we are not secure in our identity in him, if we are battling to believe that that's the way that he feels about us, we can turn to the scriptures and remind ourselves, no, this is the truth of what God says about me. A sociologist named Charles Horton Cooley had this theory called the looking glass effect, which is essentially summed up like this. It says, I am not what I think I am, and I am not what you think I am. I am what I think you think I am. I'll read that again. (laughs) It says, I am not what I think I am, and I am not what you think I am. I am what I think you think I am. In a sense, it doesn't really matter what God says about you, believes about you, if you are not going to believe it for yourself. It's got to be true for you. And that's why spending time in God's word is so important because it solidifies that truth in our hearts and in our lives and it's a well from which we can draw from when we start to doubt and when we start to be disbelieve that this is how God feels about us. Um, I just want to touch on one more thing lastly and it's this verse in verse 2. It says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. In this verse, we see that pruning is a part of abiding. And I don't know what comes into your mind when you think about pruning. When I, to be honest with you, when I first saw this verse in the text, I was like, I'm just gonna, I'm not gonna include this part in, like, it seems a bit like, it seems a bit hectic you know but then I started thinking about it and I was like what this word pruning means it's that it's it's a cutting back it's a taking away and I just want to first off make this disclaimer like pruning is not a punishment it might be painful it might be hard but it is not a punishment from God God prunes us for our own good and for our benefit it says there so that we can bear much fruit God's intention is not to hack away at our branches and be like, just like rough with us. No, he's a vine dresser that is so tender and caring and loving. And he comes to prune us gently and tenderly so that we can bear more fruit and become more like Jesus. And I felt this last year. This is something that God did with me. And I was basically abiding in the fruit of money quite substantially. And I felt he called me and said, you know what? I want to give up your job. 
For me, I was earning a nice salary. For me, it was like a really cool salary. I was quite stoked with it. But it was starting to become like this barn that I was abiding in, where I draw my life from, where I felt like, oh, life to the fullest, baby. <laughs> but actually, realistically, and only God could see this, was that it was killing me. And I think anyone who knows me could have, to- could have told you that during the time. I was, I was not in a good way. And so God asked me, will you give this up? Will you look for true life in me? And I guess the question for us all is, will we surrender our lives to the vine dresser? Will we allow him to cut back and take away the things in our lives that stop us from bearing fruit and from, that stop us from becoming like him? Um, somebody asked Michelangelo, the famous artist, what was his process in how he sculpted the statue of David? And his reply was that in this big marble block that he got, he could already see in the marble that was just, I'm guessing, a rectangle at this stage. It's going to come up, I think. Um, There it is. He could see in the marble the already finished David, and his job was to slowly chip away everything that was not David. And I really believe that that's the same way our Father God, the vine dresser, is with us when he prunes us. He's chipping away whatever is not truly us, so that we can bear fruit and so that we can become more like Jesus. I really believe that this passage of Scripture in John 15 actually gives us a lot of hope. It shows us that this is the reality. If we abide in Jesus, if we choose him as the true vine, the true one who brings life to the fullest, the one that really produces lasting fruit in our lives, the one who changes and transforms us, the promise in Jesus is that we will be changed and transformed. As I said earlier, it's not always this magic silver bullet. It's not always instantaneous. It's not almost right here, right now. It's not always like that. But the promise still stands. If you turn to me, if you run to me, if you come to me, it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how bad you think you are or how badly you've messed up. If you come to me, I'll promise you that you will find true life and life to the fullest. And that not only that, but I will change and transform your life so that you become more and more like me because that is where true life is found. So if you want to stand with me this morning, the band can come up. I just want to pose two questions to us this morning. And the first is, as you think about what Jesus says to us in John chapter 15, to consider what the vine is that you maybe are abiding in. Is it Jesus? Is it the true vine? Or is it perhaps something entirely different? And secondly, what do you believe that God feels about you? How are you Um, picturing in your mind, what is the word that pops into your mind as you think about what God thinks about you? Is it disappointed or is it something else? Or is it that you're dearly loved, accepted of, and approved in him? So God, we just come to you this morning and we just thank you for the promise that you speak about in John 10, that you speak about in John 15. And really throughout the Gospels, 
It's the promise that if we come to you, we find true life in you. It's the promise that if we come to you, you will produce the fruit that we really long and hunger for in our lives. Whether that's peace or joy or love or any other thing, God. We know, as your word says, that we can find that in you, that we can find rest in you, that we don't need to be working hard, performing, exhausted to try and earn that kind of standing with you, God, but that you love us dearly. And because you love us dearly, you want us to experience life to the fullest, which is the life that you offer, that you want to see lasting fruit produced in our lives. And that your heart's desire for us is that whatever is not us would be chipped away so that we can become who we truly are in you as disciples of yours. We surrender our hearts to you this morning and we pray, would you come and do that in us? Would you breathe life into the parts of our lives that feel dead and lifeless this morning? Without you, we can do nothing, Jesus. We look to you as the one who does it all. Would you help us to play our part of abiding in you and spending time in your presence and enjoying friendship with you, God?